You're listening to a podcast from West Wind Church. For more information, visit our website at westwindchurch.org. Good morning and welcome to 2021. Um, praying, yes, praying 2021 is one year better than 2020, right? Um, but I'm so excited just to be here and to launch this new year with y'all, both here in person and online. Uh, it's it's going to be a good year. I really believe even looking back and just uh, even talking with the gentleman this morning that even though we look back and there was a lot of hard things that happened in 2020, God was still faithful throughout it. And so I expect and I anticipate his faithfulness moving forward and is incredibly blessed by that, knowing that he loves us that much, that he ain't done with anything yet. Uh, he's got so much more he wants to do in and through our lives. And that is gonna be an incredible thing to experience this year. So hopefully you guys are ready for that. Uh, if for all of you that are new, both online and here in person, so excited to have you guys. Welcome to Western Church. Uh, I'm Pastor Jason, uh, one of the pastors here. And so just glad, glad to have you. Just wanna say, Thank you for worshiping us directly from us and our leadership. Um, we just love having you. And so if you're new to this journey with us, we are returning to the book of Luke. We have been in Luke um, for a little while now. We're kind of marching our way through this narrative of the gospel. And it's been a fun adventure. And so right before in December, we we paused on our Luke series and we jumped into our Christmas series out of the book of Isaiah. And so today we're jumping back into Luke. Now, for those of you that are uh, are really paying attention, you're going to see something uh, different this morning, or at least tracking wise, that we may seem like we're off track. But let me explain that. We're going to be in Luke 18 today, and we're going to start in verse 35. Now, for those of you that are tracking each of the, the, the journey steps that we walk through Luke, you'll notice that we missed a small section of Luke starting in verse 35. We missed this section on the rich young ruler. And then we also missed the section on where uh, Jesus challenges and speaks to his disciples about uh, what's going to happen to him in these very near future from that time. Don't worry. We're going to go back to that uh, passage in the future. We've talked about this before. Luke is written out of themes, not necessarily all chronological, all in the perfect order, but he writes out of themes. And so the theme of what we see him in his engagement with the rich young ruler, we will absolutely come back to that. It's a sermon that we had planned uh, in early December, but we wanted to start the Christmas series a week early. And so we paused on that. We're going to come back to that later this winter. So don't fret. It's coming your way. It's a good passage. Uh, I already have the sermon written, which is even better. Um, so when that week comes, I'm, I'm ready to, send, to review it. But today we're starting in Luke chapter 8, verses 35. So let me jump into that passage, and we'll read through that uh, together. And then I just want to talk through it, because it's, it's a pretty fun passage, and I want to bring some great dynamics to that. So let's read Luke uh, 18, 30, starting verse 35. As he drew near to Jericho, speaking of Jesus, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. And they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he, speaking of the blind man, cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. <laughs> and I love this. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. 
And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, what do you want me to do for you? I love that. Jesus stopped. He had the man brought to him and he asked him, what do you want me to do for you? It wasn't, what do you want? I got something, place to go. I've got things to do. It was, what do you want me to do for you? There's compassion in that phrase. And he goes on. He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. An awesome passage. This isn't the first time we've seen Jesus heal a blind person. Uh, is not the first experience we have in this, this moment of Jesus providing a miracle for someone, changing their lives, changing their physical realities, uh, changing their heart, and doing it amongst a huge crowd of people. So there's a few things that I, I love. I just want to dive into this a little bit more and give you some of the dynamics of all that's going culturally, socially, event-wise that's happening, right? And so first and foremost, you need to know there's an account of this uh, in two of the other gospels, both in Matthew and in Mark. In Matthew 20, Jesus uh, is told of this story of healing. And then also in Mark 10, you'll see this as well. Now here's the differences between these gospels. In Mark 20, I mean, Matthew 20, Matthew counts two blind guys. I don't know about these disciples, but they can't add, I think. But there's an account of two blind guys in, in Matthew's account. And in Mark, there's one, and Mark names him Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus. So the bar is, is a Hebrew word for son of, and Timaeus is his dad, essentially, and so we have a name for the blind man that Luke is talking about. His name is Bartimaeus. Now, some of you who are thinking, say, wait a second. If there's two in Matthew, one in Mark who he gives a name to, and then one in Luke that there's not a name given to, are we talking about the same story? Yes. All of the events happen as Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, so we know that it's happening at the same time. We, all, we also know that the events are happening because it all happened right around Jericho. All accounts speak of Jericho. So you have to ask, why did Mark and Luke only account for one of the blind men? And here's the answer, we don't know. So let it go. Um, but the reality is in this culture, in this day and age, being blind was not an uncommon disease to have. And so the fact that there is probably plenty of blind people, blind men and women and children even around Jericho was probably not an unfamiliar scene. And so, so for one of the disciples to comment on two and one to comment only on one, there's a lot that we can figure on that, a lot that we can try to figure out and discuss. But at the end of the day, it's not the root of the story. And so that's why I encourage you that it, it, scripture, I have a, one uh, gal that I follow and I love how she teaches through the word and she says it this way, don't, don't uh, scream at the places where scripture only whispers. You know, wait for scripture to scream and then focus a lot on that. I love that. I love that idea and I don't think scripture is screaming about how many of the blind people were in the presence of this event and this narrative. But the other thing that we can account for if you're really looking at these passages at both in Matthew and Mark 
they account that Jesus was leaving Jericho. And in Luke, Luke says he was entering Jericho. So we're like, whoa, 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 wait, Pastor Jason. Something's off again. Well, here's the deal. There's probably a couple Jerichos going on, and here's why. When I say Jericho, what do you guys initially think of for those of you that have some familiarity with the whole Bible? What is the other story of Jericho where you've heard that? The wall's coming down back in Joshua 6, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years earlier. And so in Joshua 6, we see the walls come down. They have fallen and Jericho has been defeated by the Israelites. And so here we go. We see this city of Jericho once again in scripture. And so here's a reality, archaeologically, uh, kind of in the, the sculpture of, the, of how the land is created. So here's the former, in their day, even ancient Jericho. In our day, ancient, ancient, ancient Jericho. And so as we look at the, the, the way it would fall on a map, there's ancient Jericho, which was, at that time in Joshua 6 was a much smaller city. And here's why, because Jericho kind of sits in this valley right at the, the southern end of the Dead Sea. And it's kind of the tropics of the area. It's lowland in there. It gets, holds in all of that moisture and air. It's kind of like living in Florida compared to living in, in Minnesota, Okay. And so there's a section that, that people went to Jericho to vacation. Even King Herod had his final place um, and, and his even burial was right around Jericho. People would leave Jerusalem and come to this place because of its warmth, because of its, its, uh, the, the environment around it. It was very lush, very green. There's lots of uh, agriculture that is going through from dates and figs and flowers and plants. It's a very green area. It's a beautiful place to live. And so the, uh, the economy of Jericho, um, Jericho began to grow and it began to expand. And so the city grew as well from Joshua 6 until this time in the Gospels. And so it's very uh, feasible that when we see the uh, disciples writing these stories of this narrative, that from Luke's perspective, they're walking just past uh, the older Jericho, the ancient Jericho. And from the other disciples, they're, he, they're leaving this ancient Jericho because these guys understand the story of the Israelites back in the Hebrew days. So that's one answer for it. And there's lots of conversation, lots of debate around this, but it still doesn't change the story and what Jesus is doing in the midst of the event. Here's the other unique thing. In Luke's account, the actual phrase uh, he drew near, if you look at the transliterated, the, the actual uh, original language there, what he's saying is in the area of Jericho. And so sometimes, and you've heard Pastor Key say this, sometimes our English translations, as hard as we try, don't always get it spot on. We do our very, very best with the ancient languages, but our modern language doesn't always line up. And so we do the best that we possibly can. But we see in this, whether they're leaving an ancient Jericho, entering into the new growing area of Jericho. This is like leaving West Des Moines and entering Waukee, essentially, right? Not that West Des Moines has fallen or anything like that, but um, I'm not saying that Waukee's any better. I don't know. But anyway, it's definitely not warmer here. Um, but there's this idea that we have to let some of those things go and understand the context of what's happening around in the culture, in the environment, in the economy. That's why it's so important to read the Bible with a full picture. 
But at the end of the day, it all comes back to this, that Jesus is encountering a blind man. Now, there's also a lot of stuff going on here that we have to add to the cultural context of it. The, the blind man wasn't, and all of his, his friends, his other blind buddy from Matthew, they're seen as outcasts. They're seen as uh, people that, that are basically lower than the low. They're kind of down there with tax collectors, which by the way, in the next week, we're gonna experience Jesus engaging a tax collector. They're, they're outcasts. They're outside of the city walls. Even their family doesn't want them. It's interesting that Mark gives him the name Bartimaeus and, and speaks of he's the son of Timaeus, but his dad is nowhere to be found in the story outside of Mark recognizing who he was. And so people understood who he was, but he was outside of his family. Because if you go back to the other story of when Jesus healed a blind man, the Pharisees and the scribes brought the blind man to him and said, who, whose sin is it that he is blind, his family's or his? So the Jews and the Hebrews, would they look at people that are blind and they would just assume that they had done something wrong, that they were in sin. And so therefore God's judgment on that was to make them blind. And so there's this understanding that, that the, the blind man was sinful and therefore he was blind. So now he's an outcast because they don't want to live and touch those that have some kind of sin in their life, something that is unholy. The same reason they would throw out those that had leprosy. And so he's sitting on the edge of the street outside of the walls of Jericho, the city uh, uh, lines of Jer Jericho begging. And there's crowds passing by. So why are there crowds passing by? Well, Jericho's a pretty uh, nice place. People come there to vacation. But in this story, at this moment, people aren't coming to Jericho to vacation. They're passing through Jericho to get someplace. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. And so are many, many of the crowds for the Passover, for the feasts and the festivals that surround that event. In just a few uh, a weeks or plus time, we'll enter into Jesus's triumphal entry into Jerusalem. We're leading into the events of all that's gonna happen in these next few days. And so all the Israelites, all the Jews are headed to Jerusalem to celebrate these feasts and these events together. And so the Dead Sea kind of lines up with the Jordan River, all the way heading up to the Sea of Galilee. So the Sea of Galilee is north, the Dead Sea is on the south. And in between, right along the Jordan River on the west side is Samaria. And we've talked about this before, Jews don't go through Samaria. They think it is it's unheard of to even engage with people like that. We see that in Mark when Jesus went through Samaria to meet the woman at the well and people thought he was a little bit batty, a little bit crazy and they didn't understand why, but he had a ministry to do. So all the Jews on their way to Jerusalem would do something if they're coming from the north side of the Jordan River down to Jerusalem, which is just outside of Jericho. They'd either go all the way to the coast on the west, uh, the west side of the Jordan River, or they would cross the Jordan River, come down the east side, avoiding Samaria, then come through Jericho, cross the Jordan River again, and then enter into Jerusalem. They would go out of their way to, to pass by people that they didn't think were worthy or they thought were sinful. So imagine if they saw the blind man as the same person, the same kind of way. They looked at him in that outcast kind of way that you're not worthy. And we see that unfold in the story a little bit. 
So these people are traveling through Jericho. So there's already crowds. And so I think the Bartimaeus understood that. Hey, let's get out on the road. We know people will move through because they're on their way to Jerusalem. This could be a good take for us in this journey. But something happens in the story because Bartimaeus is caught off guard because there's a loud commotion. So we understand that there's a little bit more going on than just the normal path of people to Jerusalem. There's a larger crowd and there's a lot of commotion around what's happening. So Bartimaeus speaks up and he says, what's happening? This is more than the normal. And the people speak and they say, well, it's Jesus of Nazareth. He's coming through. Now, Jesus is in the third year of his ministry. He's made a name for himself. People understand that when he comes by, he can do these miraculous works, that he's going to heal, that he's going to teach. And they're so intrigued by who he is and what he does. And so there's this following around him, this crowd of people that have been really tracking with him for a long time. And now the bonus is now they all get to journey to Jerusalem with him together. And so Bartimaeus understands some of this, hearing some of the stories very likely goes, if this is the guy, I want to meet him. I want to hear him. I have a question for him. And so he cries out, son of David, have mercy on me. And here's where we see the people devalue and see that Bartimaeus doesn't have worth in their eyes. They tell him to be quiet, be silent. Don't speak to this man. You're not worthy of his attention. You're a sinner. You're blind. You can't speak to this rabbi, this teacher. He's righteous. Like he speaks with authority. So you need to shush. You need to get to the back of the crowd and just let us pass by. And I love Bartimaeus' response. He's like, no, I ain't having any of that. I'm going to scream. The word that, that Luke uses here is he screams at the top of his lungs, son of David, have mercy on me. So let's pause real quick. So when Bartimaeus asked the crowd or the people there, who is, what is going on? What's passing by? They said, who? Jesus of Nazareth. Now, when Bartimaeus cried out, To Jesus, what did he call him? Son of David. There's very differences in this. The crowd understood Jesus based on where he was from. They understood that that he was a teacher and that he was a rabbi and that he'd done some very amazing things, but they gave him a a, a kind of a cultural name. Understand, yeah, this is this guy, we know where he's from. We kind of know where he's been born and, and where he hails from, his background. But when Bartimaeus yelled out his name, he yelled out knowing who he was. Bartimaeus gave him not just a a history or a background or a family area that he grew up in. He gave him divinity. He gave him authority. He gave him holiness. Son of David is understanding that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is God. Bartimaeus had something in him that knew that Jesus wasn't just a guy that did some really great things and had some really good things to say. Bartimaeus knew, he believed that Jesus was different. He believed that he was the Messiah. 
Even it goes down and says, uh, when Jesus asked him, what can I do for you? He called him Lord. He gave him authority in his own personal life. He gave him the truth. I know that you are master of all things. None of the other people did that. And it's such a unique part of the story that, that draws out that this story is truly about the faith of Bartimaeus. He understand who Jesus was. Where a lot of the crowd just looked at him and said, this guy's just a really good guy. He's a cool guy. He speaks a lot. He heals a lot of people. We don't know how he does it, but we're like hanging out. We're waiting to see the next best thing coming out of him. But yet in a moment, they also said, hey, Bartimaeus, shush your mouth. You're not worthy to be seen, to be heard from this man from Nazareth. He's got more important things to do than to talk with you. I wonder how many of us feel that way at times. That Jesus, that God has so much more important things to do than to deal with us. Let me tell you this, that's a lie. The most important thing that Jesus has ever done and, and will do for us is to care for us, to love us through the cross, through his resurrection, and what we know and anticipate to come when he calls us home to, to live with him for eternity. And I love that the story continues in this way. And Bartimaeus had this understanding of this. And when Jesus said, uh, what do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said, recover your sight, your actions, your good deeds, your, your strength, your scream has made you well. It's not what it says, nor does that what the word means. It says, your faith has made you well. And now the other cool thing about that word made Sometimes you just like, if it makes it, your faith kind of shapes it and creates it and brings it to what it's meant to be. But that word made is, is again, an English word that doesn't quite get the full picture. That word made in the original languages means saved. Your faith has saved you. We've seen that in other parts of the scriptures as well. And in Luke's narrative, your faith has saved you. There's a physical healing for sure because we see that Bartimaeus recovers his sight, but there's a spiritual reconciliation that happens too. Bartimaeus is saved because of his faith. And immediately he's recovering his sight and he runs back home and he finds his dad and says, dad, mom, look, I can see. Or no, he, he runs around in one of the most lush places of the area and takes in all of the sight of all the things he could probably smell the majority or all of his life at a, in an enhanced way. And now he's able to see all of these things. He just soaks it all in and he takes it all up. And he runs around and he gathers his friends and look what I can do. I can run and I can play and I can, I can do work again. I value again. No, Bartimaeus is, drops everything, and I love it. In Mark, Mark accounts that he throws off his cloak when Jesus calls to him, and he runs to Jesus. He leaves behind probably his only possession that, that in his way shows his faith because he knows something powerful is about to happen because if that's his only possession, and if he's blind, and if Jesus doesn't heal him, guess what he's not gonna find again in the throngs of people around him? 
He knows in faith that God's gonna do this powerful work in him. And then after all of this said and done, he follows Jesus. He steps in line into the dust of his Messiah's feet and he says, I'm right with you all the way through. I wonder if Bartimaeus was there during the triumphal entry. I would guess that probably he was because it's only about seven days later, six plus hour walk to Jerusalem. I wonder if Bartimaeus went through the whole experience of watching Jesus go through the trial, being whipped and beaten and watched it with his new eyes going, what is happening? This guy just healed me. He is the Messiah. Why are they doing this? I wonder if Bartimaeus stood at the the edge of the hill of Golgotha and watched him hang on the cross. I wonder if Bartimaeus was one of the disciples that sat in the room after Jesus was put in the tomb wondering what's next. I wonder if Bartimaeus was one of those guys that was in with the disciples when they began to meet him. Maybe he was walking along them when Jesus walked with them and showed up to them along the road. I wonder what his story was like. I wish that the story was unfolded and I can't wait to get to heaven to ask him. Bartimaeus followed Jesus. He didn't do anything else but then he also worshiped, he glorified God. And I love that in his response to what God has done in his life, others joined in, others saw the influence of his his focus on Jesus, his healing and said, look what God has done. Look at Barmaze's life being changed and others around him glorified and gave praise to God because of that work. Such a cool and powerful story that we see unfold in Bartimaeus' life, but also in the lives of all the other people around. I wonder where we fit into the picture. If we were to say, man, I I connect with this this group of people or this person the most in the story. I wonder if we connect with the crowd that says, you know what, you're not worthy. You've got all of this junk in your life. You've got these addictions and all of this stuff going on in your marriage. And man, you're just a mess. And so, yeah, until you get that figured out, I don't know if God's got much for you. I wonder if we identify, that truly in our hearts, if we identify with that crowd. I wonder if we identify with Bartimaeus. And at, at the top of our lungs, we realize that something's broken in us. Something we, we want something new. We want to be able to see life in a different way. And so we're going to scream at the top of our lungs, Son of David, Messiah, Savior, have mercy on me. I need you. I wonder if some of us uh, align or feel connected to the group of people when Jesus commanded, hey, go get this guy, that they're the first to jump up to run to Bartimaeus and to bring him to Jesus. I wonder if we connect with that because we desire to see people know Jesus. And when we see Jesus move and we hear Jesus speak to us, go to that person. They need me, that we don't hesitate, that we don't pause, that we go to them and we bring them before Jesus and say, here he is waiting and anticipating for God to do something powerful. I wonder if we're part of that crowd that stood back in awe and going, what did I just experience? And it's not a questioning. It's not a, that's ridiculous. I've got like six scientific points that can prove why that happened, but it's a, look what God has just done. I'm gonna give praise to God. Who do you connect with this morning the most? When you're real honest with yourself, who are you saying, man, 
I connect that way. I feel like I would be with that group or people or that person. And that might be a hard question for you to ask because you might have to answer with a hard answer. Or maybe something that you are stirring up stories of being a part of God's story, of God's movement in people's lives. And you're like, man, God has been so faithful. Maybe even looking back into 2020, you can see those moments where God did not stop his work because of a pandemic, but he continued it even more so in ways to change people's lives through it. Even for people that lost family members and friends that he ministered and he cared for them. And to see and to recognize and to point out the goodness of God because he's been faithful. Maybe for some of us, we've just had our eyes open for the first time in the last year, in the last days, in the last month, in the last hour even that God's done something in you that I'm just gonna run to Jesus now. I wonder where we all are. But here's some things that I wanna encourage you with. One, your brokenness doesn't stop you from knowing Jesus. If you feel broken this morning, your brokenness does not stop you from knowing Jesus. You're not just the shutout and the, the, that is cast off and pushed away, Jesus will stop when you call out to him. He will seek after you. We see that not just in this story, but in many stories through the gospel that Jesus pauses. The woman that had the, the hemorrhaging for years when he, she just touched his cloak, he stopped and said, who? And found her and ministered her and cared for her with compassion healed her and gave her new life in him. Your brokenness does not stop you from knowing Jesus. Your brokenness may not be blindness, it might be. Bartimaeus' blindness was a physical blindness. For many in our world in our day, it might be a spiritual blindness. But no matter what has broken you, no matter what that sin may be, no matter what that lie you may be believing in, that you may be holding on to, that the disbelief that you're worthy, that's not gonna stop you from knowing Jesus. He will stop for you. The other thing I wanna encourage you with is your faith is not dependent, is dependent. Let me change that. Your faith is dependent on who he is, not what he does. Now, let me explain that because you might think I just threw out all of the gospel and the cross and I'm not saying that. I'm not saying what, what he has done. I'm saying what he does. Your faith is dependent on who he is. Just like Bartimaeus, he called out son of David. He understood that he is the Messiah, the savior of all things, the healer. Your faith is dependent that Jesus is God. He was there at the very, very beginning, the alpha and the mega, the beginning and the end. He knows you. Your faith is dependent on who he is, that he is divine, that he is holy, that he is loving and good and gracious and merciful and kind. All the things that Tara talked about to the kids, that is who he is. Your faith is dependent on that. The beauty of Jesus is he doesn't stop there, that he meets your need 
that he heals your brokenness, that he speaks into the lies and brings truth and like Bartimaeus, brings light to your darkness. But your faith starts with who he is. And so many times in our world, we get caught up in this. God, I'll believe you when you do for me what I need you to do. I'll, I'll stop and I'll scream out when you fix my problems, when you take care of this pandemic, when you change my marriage, when you change my crazy children. I didn't raise them this way. When you do what I need you to do, I'll believe in you. But folks, here's my encouragement. We need to first believe on faith in who Jesus is. And when that comes, honestly, Everything else is a beautiful thing, but not the most important thing. When your eyes and your heart and your focus is on who Jesus is, it changes everything, no matter what your physical issues may be. He will work and move through your life in powerful ways when you believe on who he is, when you believe on the name of Jesus Christ. And so here's a big question I want to challenge you with. When Jesus responds to you, when you out of faith go, Lord, and even I love in this part in scripture where it says, the man says, hey, even in, in my unbelief, help me believe. Work that out through me. When we just come with all that we have, even if it might just feel like the smallest amount of faith. When Jesus responds and does something for you, in you, and then through you, what is your response? Bartimaeus gave us a huge, influential example. We can go, oh, finally, my budget makes sense. Finally, my marriage is coming together. Finally, my kids say yes instead of no. Finally, I can live the way I thought I've always should be able to live. Or do we respond like Bartimaeus and we step into the footsteps of Jesus and we follow him? And as a result of following him, the only thing we can really righteously and, and, and only answer with is praise and worship to say, God, you are God. We make much of his name because of who he is. Is that our response when Jesus moves? To go, man, I can't get enough of this guy. I'm going I'm to soak up the dust from his feet wherever he walks. I'm right on his heels because I want to know him more. I want to hear what he has for me more. I want to be a part of the stories of his move and his healing in other people's lives more. I'm going to be all about Jesus. I want to be like John the Baptist. I'm going to point him out. This is the guy. You need to know him. You need to see what he's about. You need to hear what he has to say for you because he is going to change everything everything in your life. Is that your response? Or do you get what you want and you move on your way? I think that's what the crowds were waiting for. They wanted to get what they wanted and then move on their way. We see that in the triumphal entry and then the next few days, hang him on a cross and crucify him, yelling at him, spitting on him, calling him names. Same crowd, same crowd. They didn't get what they wanted, and so they turned on him. 
and they missed it. They only knew him as Jesus of Nazareth. My hope is that you know him as son of David, son of God, the Messiah, the great and divine healer that he saves. Evidence of our faith is followership. Evidence of our faith is worship, response to God making much of his name. And it's shown in the life of Bartimaeus. May we all be Bart's. May we all be the guy that, that felt like we were outcast, but then knew that we were redeemed. May we all run after Jesus in a powerful way, in a new way in this year. Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians that you are a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. To live in the new. We're gonna have to fight off the old. We're human and we're broken and we're still wrestling with that brokenness on this earth. And the newness is there still. It is there and then to come. Live in the newness of who you are following after Jesus with all you have. Adam Clark is a a theologian and writes one of these historical commentaries and he quotes on this passage, this statement, and I love it. Happy are those spiritually blind persons to whom Christ has given eyes that they may know him. Feet that they may follow him a tongue that they may praise him and a heart that they may love him. A true conversion, which in no way contradicts itself, but is followed by an edifying life, makes known the majesty and power of God in a more eminent manner than the greatest of external miracles. What Adam Clark is saying in that final statement is that may your response to point out the majesty and the power of God will always overshow, will shine brighter than any miracle that he's done in your life. That when people look at the change in you, they don't look, man, your marriage is back together again. Your attitude has changed. Your heart is more compassionate. No, they look at you and say, tell me about this Jesus that you keep talking about. Is he the reason that your attitude has changed and your heart is more compassionate and there's healing in your marriage? Tell me about this Jesus that you keep screaming about and praising about because that should stand out more than any miracle, any physical or external miracle in your life. And here's the beauty of it, folks. God wants to stop for you. And it starts with faith. Faith that he is the healer, the Messiah. Not the one who makes things new, but the one who saves you and creates you new. He's got big things for us this year. May we bring praise and glory into the goodness of God. May we make much of his name in all that we are and all that we do this year. May our community, because of who we are as a church, because of who we are as followers of Jesus, may they run after this man named Jesus because that's what they hear about the most. 
May they be influenced by the change in our lives for themselves to begin to praise God and be drawn after who he is and what he has done. May their faith grow because our faith is grounded in Jesus. That's my prayer for us this year. That we cry out with all that we have, the name of Jesus, just like we sung at the beginning of the service. And we point out the goodness of God. Will you stand and worship with us? And let's sing that, that truth, that he is a good, good God. Let's praise, praise together.